We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, we got some NBA news. Steve Nash was fired. Kind of an odd series of events. Brooklyn won their first game of a back-to-back, pulled one out against Indiana, then fired Nash, then played again last night and and lost. Um, Jacques Vaughn is going to be the interim coach, but lots of noise about Ime Udoka winding up with the Nets. And so, D, there aren't many places where us as Laker fans look and text each other and go, man, those guys are a mess. <laughs> but the Nets are one of those places. Talk to me about what you're seeing in Brooklyn. We're seeing a lot in Brooklyn. Lots of extra going on in Brooklyn. So let's just start with the basketball stuff, right? Like from a basketball standpoint, they are, um, we often talk about being greater than the sum of your parts. And that's how like an average team becomes a good team. It's how a good team can become a great team. And it's how a great team can be like a championship. Like, hey, at the end of the year, we're the last team standing team. And if you actually looked at Brooklyn's talent and granted, they've had some guys not play yet or have been limited. Like Joe Harris was out to start the season. Seth Curry was out to start the season. They still don't have TJ Warren. Mm-hmm. He still hasn't played. But... This team actually has some talent on it. Like, hey, look, it's Ben Simmons and it's Kevin Durant and it's Kyrie Irving. And then, oh, look, it's Joe Harris and Patty Mills and like all these guys. Like these are name brand dudes. Right. And they have not fit together very well. And the deficiencies that they've had, Mike, have been pretty much all of the stuff that you need sort of big wingish players to do. And they've got a couple of bigger wings, right? They've got Durant, they've got Royce O'Neal, who they traded for, but this team doesn't defend and they don't rebound. And as our good friend Pat Riley used used to say, no rebounds, no rings. Well, if like that's if you're playing defense. If you don't play defense and you don't rebound, like you're going to lose pretty much every single game. And it doesn't matter how many points you can score. 
if you're taking the ball out of the basket as often as the Brooklyn Nets are taking the ball out of the basket in order to inbound the ball when they get get possession, it's like you don't have the ability to leverage all of the strengths of your team because Brooklyn really would be a great transition team, Mike, with Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. These are ball handling players who can thrive in chaos and they can create a certain amount of chaos offensively based off of the inability to match up with them when they're playing at full speed. And that's where I thought Brooklyn was going to be at their best, but they have no ability to get in those situations because their defense is trash. Like as bad as the Lakers offense has been in relation to the rest of the league, Brooklyn's defense has been that on the other side of the ball. And and so just from a basketball perspective, that's sort of where I'm at with them right now. The injuries are hampering them, but they don't seem to be a very cohesive group and they might be king of the bad vibes. And when you talk about not fitting and then bad vibes and then they just fired their coach, it's just like, oh man, like what's going on? They really are a mess. Yeah, the basketball to me there is still just secondary in the sense of this whole Kyrie Irving stuff. And it was interesting last night because you had Reggie Miller essentially calling out the other players for not speaking up on this like they did about Donald Sterling um, or you know some other owners. And you had Charles Barkley calling out the NBA and you had Shaq and Barkley together like calling Kyrie an idiot. And so that, that was kind of what the chatter I think understandably would be from a – what are the players thinking standpoint? I think a lot of players just aren't even aware exactly what happened in what Kyrie did. They may have seen the clip of him going back and forth with, um, with Nick Friedel of ESPN. And what, so Kyrie retweeted and spread a video that included a, a quote from Hitler. And it's based on a book that, you know, argues that the Holocaust is a lie as far as I understand it. And, you know, there's, there's some Alex Jones and we don't even need to get into that hate mongerer, but there's just a, it's it was such a, it's such a clear departure and it's so different from the world is flat nonsense, even though that's harmful in its own way. If some kid gets that and hears that Kyrie said that in class and then allows something like that to enter one's brain. But I was a little bit, I guess, like Reggie Miller and Barkley in the sense of what what is so complicated here that we're just going on and the Nets and the league and the Players Association all make statements that don't even mention Kyrie specifically. It's just weird to me. Um, it's bizarre that it's not easy enough to call that out um, and and to do something about it as opposed to just let it go. And then Kyrie plays in the game and, and sucks. And what he start 0 for seven before he finally hits a layup? And I don't. So that's that's the spot for me. It's just one of confusion. Like, why is this not a little bit more of an obvious thing to do and to and to handle and to have some sort of consequence um, without getting into a free speech debate, which is which is not <laughs> when it's a private company. You know, which is a different threshold um, than you might have in, in terms of like taking him to court or something uh, and having to prove a certain thing. So I, I've just been confused by the whole response to it because it it seems to me such an easy thing to uh, to <laughs> condemn. What do you think the recourse is, Mike, with uh, is it like and, and how does that fit into the, the Nash situation and, and all that? Well, I don't know. At this point, this is kind of what Barkley said. It's sort of too late. He's already played. What are you going to retroactively suspend him now because you've had enough time to review it? Uh, I, I probably still would just cause, but it's to me in terms of how Nash fits into it. And this gets to what Darius was saying, I think with the team and with the franchise is that there was a certain amount of control seated when Durant and Kyrie went there and Nash clearly was not empowered. Uh, they, 
I don't know if they were particularly listening to Nash and or nor would they listen to almost any coach. Mike, Sean Mark said it in his media availability yesterday that in his conversations with Steve Nash, Nash basically went to Marks and was just like, I'm not being heard, basically. And whether that's Nash's problem or it's the other people's problem, I think Nash just said it flatly, like they're not listening to me. And yeah. that means I'm no longer the right voice for this team. And I know Steve Nash. Uh, I, I spent a year covering him and have kept in touch to a degree since. We're not best friends, but, I, you know, when I see him, we chat and I've exchanged some messages with him before. Uh, one time he invited me to go play soccer with him and I, I felt like he was just doing it to be nice because I was the uh, I was the team reporter that he knew and I didn't take him up on it. And I eternally regret it. Although oh, I, have a, currently, I currently have a high ankle sprain. Um, and you know, it, stuff like that would have just keep, would have kept happening. I was limping around uh, the arena the other <laughs> night. It's not great. And uh, alas, um, I know Nash and he is a, he is not the kind of guy that, you know, that is going to come in and, and do sort of like the power move. Hey, if you don't listen to me, this consequence is going to happen. He wasn't that way as a player. He was more of a follow my example. I'm going to do everything the right way. I'm going to give you the tools that you need to uh, to win this game and this given night. But he is not the type. I think that Durant and Kyrie, to an extent, thought that that was, oh, great, because of his personality. And that way, it'll be this more. We're leading the team together. You saw a lot of those quotes last year. And that, you know, up to a certain point, maybe that could have worked if they had the right kind of talent and if they had the right kind of players around those guys. And, and there, there were moments where it looked like it was going to work and then they couldn't stay healthy. So but that that's all last year, like what was going on this year? And once you bring Ben Simmons into the mix, which is a whole nother thing, but mostly it's just Kyrie and the way that I would use it. And so Durant not wanting to be the guy like that leads it. But the way that Kyrie spoke to Nick Friedel. Imagine being in the film room and Steve Nash is like, hey, Kyrie, what you didn't get back in transition there. And why are we not rotating the ball around? Do you think he cares what Steve Nash or what anyone says? I so how is the it just not it wasn't going to work. And I don't think it's going to work there um, with Ime Udoka coming in, even though Ime Udoka is the kind of guy that probably has the chance at least right to lead a team like that where just like he was yelling and screaming at, at the Celtics for two months last year and, and it wasn't working and it was going in a bad direction and everybody from Boston was like this team is terrible and then finally they did turn it around because Udoko was like I'm not budging if you don't do this it's not gonna happen that's hard to do with older players too that have had their success and made their money Kyrie Irving is a champion Kevin Durant is a champion and so that like kind of college hard-ass type of thing doesn't always work right with older players that said I think they've been sorely lacking in leadership in a number of ways and this is one of the things I my mind goes to is LeBron right and like the LeBron and KD discussions one of the things and I really don't like these type of discussions that often but one of the things that really stands out to me is that like KD has never been held to much of a standard as a leader. And that's part of being like the superstar best guy in the end. Like if you're going to be in those debates, if you're going to be in debates with LeBron James and things like that, like that idea that you're somewhat responsible for the whole and for the direction that you row in, you row in. And that's something that D like 
that's partially on the coach. It's partially on ownership. It's partially on your best players. And really, there hasn't been anyone that seemed to step up that. And now sometimes a role guy will speak up and give a rah-rah, but they don't have this same clout and credibility to be able to do that. And so that's something we're just I'm I know we're one in five. We're not a very good team yet, but we're defending our asses off like we're 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 grinding, we're working towards something and that I think is more reflective of getting ourselves out of a hole uh, that is reflective of good leadership. And I just don't see that in Brooklyn. Yeah, the Lakers are one in five because they've shot historically poorly. Like the Lakers have basketball right. problems. And we talked about this previously. And I actually framed this around some of the stuff with Russ, like some of the stuff that was happening with Russ, those were basketball problems first and foremost. Yes. But in the big picture, it was, no, they put... Portland and the Clippers put their center on Russ to close the game defensively, and the Lakers mm -hmm. didn't have effective counters for that. Their offense stalled out, and they lost close games that were winnable at the end, right? LeBron missed a turnaround jumper, Mike, and so those were basketball issues. And I do want to say, and to clarify a little bit from what I was talking about before in Brooklyn, that when you have somebody like Kyrie, you do need a LeBron type leader at the top of that pyramid. And I think it's, it's, Durant is a complicated player and a incredible player, but he has shown over the years that he doesn't necessarily want that type of overall burden to lead a franchise that mm -hmm. LeBron has done before. LeBron did step into that role in Miami eventually, even with Dwayne Wood. He did do it in Cleveland with Kyrie. He did do it with Anthony Davis and the rest of the, the franchise with different coaches. So that that is something to me that differentiates LeBron. Uh, and from the situation that happened in Brooklyn, like you do have to have the, that the alpha there, Pete, uh, to do that. Right. That's something that where like KD and Golden State, that's already in place, right? You've got your leader, you've got your right. culture set. And whereas Brooklyn D is a place that they tried to kind of put it all together. And as proud as I am of how, us, how we're kind of grinding right now, I do see a lot of analogs between Brooklyn and the Lakers over the last yeah. couple of years. And that I, it brings into question how often will teams try to go for the three star build, how to do it properly, right? What, what it means if you do go in that direction. I, I think Brooklyn reflects a lot of the mistakes that we've made. So they're interesting in that respect. But I do think that the leadership is what I think the leadership is what is helping us make gains to get out of our situation. We'll see. Sure. You know, lots of places that can fall off. But I, I do think that's what separates it. Well, you know, like, I don't want to psychoanalyze any of these guys any much more than we have to. Fact of the matter is, though, is that the Nets, the Nets are in a hole. They're in a different type of hole than than the Lakers are. And I'll be mm -hmm. curious to see if they make their way out. Right. Like normally firing the head coach inspires a certain amount of like, hey, let's get after it. Mm -hmm. And I did not see let's get after it last night. I saw more of the same. And. If they hire Ime Udoka, and we had a long conversation about Udoka in the aftermath of what happened with the Celtics, you can find that pod in the archives. Um, the Nets are embroiled in controversy right now with all of the stuff around Kyrie that Mike said, which I think Mike spoke to well. They are now going to hire a dude who was issued a year-long suspension by his team because of a basically a sex scandal at work. And this is the guy that they are targeting for their head coach. And the argument is that he's going to whip these guys into shape. It's just like, we'll see how that goes, right? And so I'm not saying it won't go in, in like, I'm not speaking 
whatever the basketball stuff. Now I'm talking secondary to this stuff is like, they've got a lot of stuff to figure out and it goes beyond whether or not Ben Simmons, knee is still sore or his back is still sore or who's going to play center or who's going to rebound. Um, and maybe they can operate in a vacuum guys and they can figure this all out from a basketball perspective. And all that matters is the 12 guys in that locker room and the head, like there's lots of Rudy stuff that you can pull out of sports cliches and yada, yada, yada. But I look at the nets and honestly, the Lakers are one in five. They got a worse record than the nets. I feel fortunate that the Lakers are not the nets right now. And I honestly feel fortunate that the Lakers never traded for Kyrie Irving. I feel fortunate for a lot of stuff. And it's just like, Lord, if you would have asked me if I would have felt that way like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I would have felt opposite. But it's just like as time plays out, I'm like, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Because that's a level of mess that it's going to take a while to clean that sort of mess up. And I don't want to get out the shovels to clean that stuff up. Yeah, we should we shall see how uh, how that goes. Never a dull moment in the NBA. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're gonna shift gears, talk about the Lakers Pelicans game tonight. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So prior to the season, guys, the Pelicans were one of the teams that I had circled as a matchup problem for the Lakers. They got a lot of those tall, lanky wings that uh, I think can exploit our our height or lack thereof. Um, but in tonight's game, B.I. is supposed to be out. He's in concussion protocol. And so he was the main guy. I think that it just... Talk about a shoot over the top type of guy. We we don't have anyone aside from maybe Anthony Davis that can really bother him. Um, and and AD is going to be busy right down down low with a Jonas Valanciunas right. Uh, he's going to be banging down low there. And so that's where I'm at, Mike, on this game tonight. Is that they've been a team that I've had circled kind of that we're when we're good we're faster than opponents, but they like to run too. But they're you know 
three, four taller, three, four inches taller than us at just about every position. So I'm curious where you go with that, Mike, though, because with Ingram out, that definitely changes the calculus. It does. It, they just put Trey Murphy, though, uh, in who's just as big as Ingram, although he's a different skill set, you know, so he's not going to be posting you up in the mid post and crossing you over and stepping up back for the dot jumpers. But he will just shoot threes over the top of you yep. uh, and then use his athleticism and length in other ways. They're a matchup problem for sure. And you start with Anthony Davis and how he's feeling with his back, because on the one hand, if you start with him at the center, Valencia Eunice is one of the guys in the league that bangs the most. And by the way, the Lakers early schedule has had like all of the big bruising centers, yeah. except for <laughs> Embiid, although Embiid is like on the perimeter a lot. But, you know, so Davis has had to do a lot more of that, you know, maybe than than he will against certain matchups. But if Davis is occupied there, well, then who's guarding Zion, who's basically unguardable right now? I mean, LeBron is one of the few guys in the league that could probably that could probably take a Zion shoulder in the chest and not have it cave mm-hmm. in. <laughs> but do you want him doing that the whole game when he's got to run your offense, especially with Russ coming off the bench and him having to do more ball handling? AD is the best. He and Giannis would be the best one-on-one types for Zion. But again, then that's taxing. And then what are you doing with Valanciunas? So to me, I look at this more in the sense of New Orleans is not the best defensive team in terms of personnel, even though they can get to some really good lineups there. If it's Herb Jones, then they're playing Murphy and they played Larry Nance. But if they're playing Zion and Jonas together, those are some of the lineups that you can attack um, and you can run on some and you can get some transition stuff from and you can, you know, you can move the ball on the other side of the court with a swing swing. So I think that that's the way that you have to kind of attack the Pelicans, because once they come in off that bench and Alvarado is in the backcourt doing things, then they they can shape shift pretty well. And I'd say that they right now are playing certainly better basketball to start the season than the Lakers. And Darius, that's not even saying that's not even going to the fact that they're second in the league in three point percentage, which they are right now. They're they're at 40 percent for the season. The Lakers just had their first game over 40 percent from three. So there's a lot. Uh, Where would you start? I mean, I start in the front court matchups. I agree with Pete in that forecasting what the Pelicans were going to be in a specific matchup against the Lakers was always tricky because I always look at, well, who guards who? And the Lakers actually have. Two guys who could potentially guard Zion in AD and LeBron, but both of them are probably needed in other parts of the court as well. Okay. And so then Brandon Ingram, the Lakers don't have a guy to guard Brandon Ingram. And CJ McCollum is a very specific sort of guard who uses screens a lot. He's super shifty. He plays at his own pace and he can create shots um, out of nowhere, basically. And, And then I look at who guards LeBron, right? And so LeBron has had more challenges, I think, with the idea of being a full-time ball handler based off the fact that like teams are picking him up full court a lot more. And this has been something that teams have been doing since the championship season, honestly. But as LeBron ages, it's like bringing the ball up against full court ball pressure only gets more and more taxing. So Aaron Gordon was doing it the other day. I guarantee if LeBron is bringing the ball up, Herb Jones is going to pick him up full court, right? And it's just the length and the like, hey, I'm going to try to turn you three or four times before you get into your offense. Like that sort of stuff is interesting when it comes to the Pelicans, right, Pete? 
and and it's not about like necessarily forcing a turnover in those situations. It's that progressive fatigue that they want LeBron to work as hard as possible to do what LeBron does. Yeah, and it's the using of time because the more and more time that you use up, yeah. the likelihood that a defense that, as Mike mentioned, isn't top tier. Like the way that you end up being an effective enough defense is, hey, like do the things you're good at, right? So Alvarado is going to do the same thing full court against Russ. He's going to try to like when they're in the game together because those are both bench guards, right? And so I would imagine, and now Russ is going to try to get some back in the post. He's going to like try to use his size and physicality against Alvarado, but Alvarado is going to stand up to that as well. And he's going to stick his nose in there. And and so it is a super in. Interesting matchup to me. I do think that this is a game where the Lakers are going to have to hit some threes. But to me, one of the bigger parts of this entire game is rebounding. So the Pelicans, I haven't looked at the numbers, Pete, but I'm going to assume, I'm just going to assume that they're one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the league. And the Lakers have been actually been a middle of the pack defensive rebounding team, but the Lakers have actually been a very poor offensive rebounding team themselves. And so when you look at their overall rebound rate, it's not very strong within the context of the entire league, but their defensive rebound rate has been fine. Pelicans are eighth, Darius, offensive rebounding. And and that's yeah, I was looking that up too. B.I. Yeah. <laughs> missing some games here recently. Zion has missed a game, right? And, and so there's a certain activity level that the Lakers are going to need on the defensive glass that um, is where I think the game can pivot. Because we were talking about this in the first half of the pod with the Nets and how the Nets aren't rebounding at all. Mike, you mentioned that one place the Lakers can be great is in transition offensively. And that's against every team in the league. But it's especially against a team that is going to play some slow-footed bigs. And then when they go to their quicker big lineups like Jackson Hayes or Larry Nance, like those are guys where LeBron sees those guys at the basket, but he's not going to see those guys too, right? Like he's just going to be like, oh, well, you're there. I'm going to go at you, right? Even Jackson Hayes, who I think can pose some problems at the basket. LeBron's going to attack guys like that and basically say like, foul me, or I'm going to use some craft around the basket to finish. And so I'm looking at defensive rebounding Pete and I'm looking at at transition and those two things go hand in hand. And if the Lakers can do both of those things well, the Pelicans could be in for a tricky game tonight. But if those things go against the Lakers and then the three point stuff is still there, that's when it's just like, oh, well, damn it. They're down 15 right now. So that's where I'm at, Mike. Just to, to kick this to Pete. The early season stats have to be a little careful with because so the number I gave you was offensive rebounds, like offensive rebounds per game, offensive rebound percentage. The Pelicans are third and then defensive Mm -hmm. rebounds. The Lakers are actually second, either second or third in defensive rebounding, but defensive rebounding percentage, they're ninth Uh, in, you know, that tells you some of what the play style is and sort of transition Mm -hmm. and like all kinds of things get baked into that. But they're they're close enough numbers, but I, I tend to trust the percentage numbers slightly more because those take into account um, sort of like what the, the, the pace of the game and the, and the overall amount of rebounds that are being grabbed. 
And I'll take ninth overall in defensive rebounding, Mike, at our height and size. That's indicative of excellent small ball principles. That's been one of the things that's been really gratifying from a, a former coach standpoint, you know, at a, at a yeah. low level that coached a small team was like, it, we're fronting the post, we're helping from low side, we're sandwich rebounding, we're tipping balls away to where maybe we can't grab it, but we know our teammate, LeBron's great at this uh, in particular. We know a guy, one of our guys is over there, so we'll tip it in that direction. Just like the application of all of these principles it's been very gratifying to watch um and troy brown i thought I, I know i keep bringing him up but he's had you know eight six and five rebounds in his last three games and that ability to rebound up i think is something that both brown and russ have off of the bench that um that is super helpful in getting there. So I'm with you on that D and that defensive rebounding. I think with some of the lineups with those Jonas and Zion lineups in particular, we have a foot speed advantage. And that's something that I was really thrilled to watch AD kind of carve up Jokic in the way that he used to against those bigger slow footed type of guys. Those guys used to like not be able to have any chance against him at all and seeing him and he's got the bad back, right? It's not a deficiency on his end, but seeing him like sidestep and knock down jumpers, that to me plays into that bigger idea of if we're going to beat teams like this D, we got to be faster than them. We got to kind of we, we've got to carve them up in a way that if we try to stand there toe to toe and bang with them, we're at a deficit. So yep. it's basically like use the advantage that you have. And I think that that's going to be a big part of a game like tonight is can we run on them? Can we get out in transition? Can we scramble? Because that's going to be our road to success. I would also say that the energy that the Lakers had coming out of the last game and that just in the building, in the crowd, some of that includes Russ coming off the bench. That's the type of thing that if, if that a home team can capitalize on, even if their game isn't all the way there yet, just the, how do you, how do you create that positive energy? How do you keep going forward with that? How do you not have the energy drain to loop in kind of what Brooklyn has going on and with certain personnel groupings and with certain guys that are on the court and that I think was out there to an extent when Russ was starting just with the team out there because it didn't make as much sense. But now that this seems to make a little bit more sense, that take the matchup out of it. If you just play with that proper type of energy and enthusiasm, then that can make up for some matchup stuff that you would typically find in the game. Well, and I think one of the places where it works best is when those two things, uh, there's synergy between those things. And that idea that we have the energy, but we also have a good group of guys out here. I think we're closer to that D right now with our bench unit than we are with our starters. I think we're further away in terms of like knowing what we are. So that's one of the things I wanted to throw in the mix too. that energy that Mike is talking about and that kind of being able to click and, and carry that uh, from the previous game. We haven't really had that with the starting group yet. And I I think this is one of those games where we can't get our butts kicked in the starting line. I think we can lose those minutes slightly uh, and still pick it back up with the bench. But that starting group is going to be a real focus of mine because they have they have not shown that same degree of chemistry that the bench has. Um, I almost finished the pod that you yeah. guys recorded yesterday about fits and not fits. And I had to cut it off to do a couple things right before you guys I think we're going to talk about Pat Bev and so I have not listened to that mm -hmm. part yet I'm going to have a piece on Pat Bev I think out in the next couple of days or so so I won't spoil too many of my thoughts about him right now but you're right Pete the starting lineup has not been good and I'm intrigued by you saying that one of the things the Lakers are going to have to win at is the scramble plays because the Pelicans have they have the superior athletes and they have the superior length and that's a place really where they're going to be mm. good too. 
So it's yeah, almost that's a fight. Like, okay, well, it's we've a got match you at a thing yeah. that you're also good at, which leads me to mm. a guy who we haven't talked about much this pod, but I think it's going to be super important tonight because he's super important anytime the Lakers play the Pelicans because he's super important to the Pelicans because they hate him, and that's Anthony Davis. So AD, I honestly don't think there's a player in the league who is cared about more by Pelicans fans than Anthony Davis, maybe even more than some of the guys that's on their own team. They really seem to eat up all the Anthony Davis content that that they can get. And there's never a time where they won't make a snide comment. Um, but one of the reasons why is because Anthony Davis has kicked their ass repeatedly ever since he left. Right. He's found a way. to like, oh, Jackson Hayes care about you. Oh, Valentunas, I don't care about you. Steven Adams. Oh, who cares? I'm better than all of you. And Anthony Davis still, he's better than than all of them. And so I am, this is an important game. The Lakers are going to win this game, if they do, because Anthony Davis had another Anthony Davis night. And he's been doing that a lot this season. And a lot of guys have been talking about his back and his back hurts. And and he's been playing through that. He went toe for toe. He he went Mm -hmm. toe to toe with Jokic this last game. Basically played him to a standstill, Mike, just like you were talking about the other night on the pod. And he did it while clutching his back for like half the game, right? He got on the ground. He's battling for rebounds. And he's going to have to do more of that getting tag team and double teamed by Jonas Valanciunas and Zion Williamson. Those are the guys who he's going to be going up against in the paint. And guess what? He's good enough to still dominate this game, even when the opposing front court are those guys. And so I'm looking at AD tonight, guys, to sort of be that guy who can get you 25 and 15 with three blocks and a couple of of assists. And if his jumper is falling, like these are the things that can turn the game back in the Lakers' favor because we talk about stars. AD is one of those dudes still. And for all the LeBron Mm -hmm. talk and this is that and the other, to me, I still think this is an AD game. I'm so glad you brought him up too, D, in that he's a demonstrating leadership himself, right? Like we were talking about LeBron in context with the Nets earlier, but having a guy like that, Mike, who's clearly physically struggling, but is also leading the league in stocks right now, is anchoring a top five defense while contributing on the offensive end, while clearly in pain. Like there's no one on Brooklyn doing that, right? That's like diving on the ground and, you know, playing through pain to kind of rally the guys. And when you're one of the role players and you're watching this or anyone on the team and you're watching one of the best players in the league just grind through it and give everything he can because it means so much to him that has uh, that has an effect on everybody else Darvin Ham spoke pretty directly about this yesterday after practice and I think this is part of what you're getting from Darvin in general I'm sure a lot of you saw Darvin's comments about Westbrook after the Denver game in which he's like almost moved to tears right and he Darvin really roots for people and love him it genuinely yeah. right and so the yeah. guys can feel that type of love that's why you know on a team that was zero and five you got the water that was great celebration the in the locker room uh which you know i know yeah it, w- it was great and i think there I, I would understand why people why some fans can think well wait what are you really celebrating it's like well they're they're celebrating darvin ham they're not celebrating the fact that they're one and five you know they're celebrating uh that this guy that's trying to do what he can uh and is genuinely genuinely cares about the players in there and so anyway what he said about ad was 
He wants to dispel the myth that he's never available. He's had some unfortunate injuries over the last couple of years on dot, dot, dot. He's been nothing short of monstrous since I've shown up. Highly competitive, dealing with a lot of pain, but he's he's not in a place where he can injure himself. Uh, the injury is what it is. Just got to manage it and make sure we keep it as fresh as possible. So I I think that that is, that is helping, right? Just the way that Darvin is talking about him and, and AD wanting to be there. But the the flip side of that, for somebody that has a bad back, right? It, it's just a... <laughs> yeah. It's, oh man, I, I'm I'm just trying to think of the time in this season and there's this odd five-day break coming up in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that's that, super know, strange. But, but even that, like, it is how can he get to the point where he isn't having to labor through every game? And yeah. the problem is you can't just, if you if you sit him out for three weeks, then the season might be over. Right. You know, it's just a really, so... That's all. That's another conversation. The point that I wanted to make was just the support that he's getting internally and, and how he has been fighting through it. And even when he's not able to move that well, he just turns into more of a traditional big center, <laughs> right? Who's not that mobile, but is but is so skilled and is so yeah. uh, and, and still takes up a lot of space. Pal was at the game the other night and, and he sort of reminded yeah. me of that late, late in the game, just being big, being active around the basket, great hands, like all of the things that you want from a big yeah. guy, like AD was doing that stuff without the mobility. And it sort of reminded me of late stage pal Pete, where it's just like, oh, the hands are still there. Little jump hooks, little finishes around the basket, just putting his hands up, defending the rim, grabbing a clutch rebound, that sort, sort of stuff. He's doing that stuff. And then when he is looking right physically he is like oh yeah look at that right to left crossover a little floater in the lane like he's still doing that stuff too and so just want to credit ad and point to him as a key factor tonight and i hope he's i i, mm. I hope he's able to go because i know that he's questionable heading into this game but he will be important he, he absolutely will be important and the way he's played with his back has been super admirable. I would love if we could make life easier on AD and get him some minutes at the four where he's not playing the entire game in those type of circumstances. I would love for him to not have to start games against Jonas Valanciunas. And, uh, you know, and when you look around the league, Mike, we have faced a lot of the bruisers, but increasingly across the league, there are more teams that fit that description where even you play Memphis and it's a Steven Adams, right? Like who's strong and physical, right? Like that's, that is the conventional way to start a game most of the time. And that's why our starting lineup with both AD at the five and three guards. Now we've upscaled a little bit having Troy Brown in there, but we're still pretty small. That's why it's a, a bit unconventional. And I would love for us to have that big look because I think that could help AD in a way that helps AD help us down the line. Because just like you said, Mike, there's no stretch. Once you're in the regular season, there's no, oh, take three weeks off to get the back right and you don't even have a guarantee that that will get it done just in the circumstance that we're in. We don't have that kind of time. So I would love other ways to alleviate that um, off of AD. But uh, curious to see how it goes tonight. Um, see how the matchup in, in our heads plays out on the court. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about it. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Eck to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with
NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.